standing for the reading of the word. If you have Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. If you have these blue Bibles, it's on page 1600. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to them and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The word of the Lord. Well, we want to welcome you once again this morning. Uh, for those online or for those who are here with us for one of the first times, I'm Pastor Mike Griffin. You've already met Greg Flagg, our other pastor, and uh, we're grateful that you're here. And, um, you know, we don't often just kind of pause and, and uh, you know, think about who all is here. Uh, we usually do welcome those online. Uh, but for those that are here, uh, you may or may not know that every week uh, our worship service is shown in the theater at Eschaton. And it's also shown at Brunswick Village. And so two of our local uh, care places and and where uh, some of our other seasoned members find themselves uh, are tuning in every week uh, to our worship service. So it's great to have you here. It's great to have you here. And especially as we begin a new sermon series, we had a lot of fun uh, this summer talking about off-road disciplines, exploring those practices that we can enter into in our faith, uh, things that we can do to encourage and deepen connection with God wherever we are, not just here in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And this morning, uh, we begin a new sermon series. And, you know, have you ever thought about the fact that if you are listening to somebody and you're interested in what they have to say, that you tend to lean in? It's partly because I'm getting older. I turn 49 tomorrow, and my hearing is starting to go, as yours might be going. And so, especially with my kids, uh, and every now and then, you know, if I'm not leaning in, my wife believes I'm practicing selective hearing. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I want to lean in. You know, when I'm interested in what somebody has to say, I, I want to I make sure I'm listening well. And, um, and conversely, if we're speaking to somebody else and they are leaning in to us and they have an open posture and they're practicing, you know, good eye contact with us, what does that do? It encourages us to want to share more, right? Well, Uh, 2,000 years ago, nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus preached the greatest sermon ever preached. And he preached it at least twice. I don't know any other preacher who preaches a sermon multiple times, uh, you know, tries to use the same material twice. But Jesus did that. And he preached that once, uh, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And then he preached at least one other time, a second time, uh, and that was recorded in Luke's gospel, and that is known as the Sermon on the Plain, because there we're told that Jesus came down and met his disciples down on a plain. Well, again, when we're leaning into some way to listen to what they're saying, we're reflecting interest. If we're interested in what Jesus had to say in the greatest sermon ever told, we want to lean in. 
We want to hear these words because they're words of life. They're, they're the greatest words ever shared. They're incredibly challenging. They're also incredibly relevant still for today. And so through leaning into these words this fall, we're going to kind of understand these words and what Jesus is doing in its original context. But we're also going to explore what they mean for us today, living in these tremendously challenging times that we find ourselves in. And I know for many of us, this last week has brought up a variety of emotions. Uh, The 20th anniversary of of 9-11, thinking about all that's happening in our world right now. And I would say that we need these words, these words of life, that, that tell us how to live life now, right now, more than any other time. We need to be anchored by these words. We need to be guided by these words, given direction by these words. In the midst of all the other words, all the other messages we're hearing, we need these words desperately. Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, says, it is the failure to understand Jesus and his words as real and vital information about life that explains why today we do not routinely teach those who profess allegiance to him how to do what he said was best. We lead them to profess allegiance to Christ and then leave them there. In other words... Uh, You know, we are an evangelical Presbyterian church. We believe in the call uh, to invite people into relationship with Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. But that's just the starting point. We want to live a life of leaning into God's word, understanding those words and understanding how vital they are for us as his followers to put into practice. The word disciple and the call to be a disciple simply means being a learner. A disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or becoming what that person is. So for us, what we're trying to do in leaning in is we want to become more like Jesus. And discipleship to Jesus, being a learner or follower, is at the very heart of the gospel. The really good news for humanity is that Jesus is now taking students into the master class of life. The eternal life that begins with confidence in Jesus and his life live for us as an example of what a kingdom kind of life is. That begins now on earth and is available to all of us. So the message of and about him is specifically a gospel, good news for the here and now, not just for dying, not just for in the future. It is about living now as his apprentice in a kingdom kind of life, not just being a consumer of his merits. C.S. Lewis talked about this, about how we're increasingly meant to become more heavenly kinds of creatures. It's not just that we accept Christ and then we become transported to be like him in heaven one day. It's about accepting Christ and his words and leaning into those words and welcoming them and those words becoming a part of who we are so that we're becoming more like Jesus now. Friends, this is why we have a growth group fair today. This is why we're doing men's and women's ministries, why Sierra Women's Bible Study is starting this week, why we have mentoring relationships. It's because we believe we need to lean into those words. 
and grow in our understanding of those words. What if somebody expected to show up for a race and the gun goes off and they start that race? We had an image of Allison Felix up in her bulletin cover. That's that leaning in, you know, in a race. Well, what if somebody uh, expected to start a race, gun goes off, and they just expected to be transported to the finish as the victor, never having trained before, and never actually running the race? That'd be preposterous, right? We anticipate that like an Olympic athlete, they would have to train and train and train. And they're actually going to have to to run. And those 100 meters or however long it is, is going to be this intense leaning forward in, in, in that race. Well, similarly, discipleship is meant to be like that. It's meant to be a passionate embrace of the call to move forward and strain forward in relationship with God. Well, as Jesus invites people to lean in here in the passage we read, the first thing I want us to notice about leaning in and and the life of discipleship, being an apprentice to Jesus, is that Jesus invites people, and this is in your outline in the bulletin, Jesus invites the disciples to lean in after leaning into the Father through prayer. In other words, Jesus didn't do anything on his own. He only moved at the impulse of the Father's will. And so before he called disciples to be with him, to follow him, and to go out for him, he leaned into the Father in an overnight time of intensive prayer. Luke reminds his readers that the ministry of Jesus moves along in the life of prayer. And so in those days, we're told Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples. From them, he chose 12 whom he called, who he called apostles. So characteristically here in Luke's version of the sermon, Jesus spent the night in prayer before the important work of selecting his 12 disciples. That night of prayer elevated the act into the larger purposes of God. We see Jesus spending time in prayer really prior to every major turning point in his life and ministry. Before he calls his apostles, before he was uh, tempted, before he started his ministry, and most uh, importantly, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he sacrificed himself on the cross. At every major turning point in his ministry, Jesus leaned in to the Father in prayer. Jesus knew that he needed to, the re- to receive and, and, and be filled by the benefits of being in relationship with the Father. And that focused time in prayer was the only way to discern the way forward in his mission of making disciples. So similarly... Just as Jesus leaned into the Father through prayer, the primary way we lean in to Jesus is by spending time with the Father through Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Prayer was Jesus' way of being nourished and encouraged in his relationship with the Father so he could go out into relationships with others. He did. He had given much of himself in recent days. Prior to this passage, he had healed people. He had cast out demons. And one could acknowledge that he was likely exhausted. He needed to recharge his batteries. And so he did by coming into prayerful relationship with the Father. I like the quote that says, We need to come apart or else we're going to come apart. We're going to unravel. 
And you've heard the quotes before. I know our Christian women in stitches probably love the, you know, the day hemmed in prayer rarely unravels. We need to, to, to lean into the Father in prayer and be nourished and encouraged if we're going to be enabled to follow Jesus and grow in him. And that prayerful leaning in is that straining forward towards the, the victor's tape. Paul used that analogy in Philippians 3. He talked about pressing on toward the goal for which Christ has called us heavenward in, in Christ Jesus. And the pressing on, the, the Greek word there is a straining leaning forward there was one of the olympic races in particular where uh, the u.s uh, athlete i believe it was the 800 was actually favored but he thought he had the race won and he slowed up and right at the tape somebody else leaned forward and in a photo finish passed him up and he didn't even get to run in the finals well Prayer is that way that we lean forward into what God is doing, that we press into that. And prayer is the way we, we, we enter into the eternal kind of life, as Dallas Willard talked about, eternal kind of life now. We're, we're getting our marching orders. We're being encouraged by him. The relationship that we're going to have with Jesus face to face, we enjoy now in prayer. And Jesus did that with the Father before he even called us into that kind of relationship. Secondly, we then see that Jesus invites the disciples to lean in by calling them to him. Jesus called his disciples. Among those who came to hear Jesus here was a group who regularly followed him and were committed to his teachings. There were at least 72 men included in this since many of the disciples, uh, that many disciples were sent out on an evangelistic mission pretty soon. So we believe there's at least 72 people gathered. Later, we're told there were 120 believers who waited and worshipped in Jerusalem following the ascension. So there's a growing number of people following Jesus, not just the 12. And this is nothing new in terms of what God is doing. Rather, calling people to him is the essential theme of the whole Bible from beginning to end. That is God's historical purpose. It's a call out a people for himself and that this people is, would be holy and set apart from the world to belong to him and to obey him and that its vocation is then to be true to its identity, to be holier, different in all its outlook and behavior. Robert Coleman talked about this in the master plan of evangelism and talking about selection, how God selects people to be in relationship and says it all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction of his life evangelistic strategy and what it would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitude, but with men and women whom the multitudes would follow. Men and women were his method of winning the world to God. So Jesus' initial objective is to call people to lean into relationship with him, to come and be with him. And through these first followers or converts to enlist them as his witnesses to carry on his life and his work after he returned to the Father. And from these early people, Jesus was destining or calling them to become the leaders of his church that would go with the gospel to the whole world. Jesus wanted to reproduce his life in a few chosen people who would then carry on his work after he was gone. That was the focus of his mission. 
And that's why he invites you into relationship with him. The reality is we're all going to follow somebody. I mean, the question really is, who teaches you? Whose disciple are you? Honestly, one thing we can say for sure, you are somebody's disciple. You learn how to live from somebody else. And there really are no exceptions to this rule. For human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. Bill Hull would say God's primary plan for the church is for disciples of Jesus to develop other men and women into disciples. And that's what's behind the Greek word, methetes, to be a disciple, learner, or follower. It's somebody who's emulating somebody else. And as Robert Coleman says, the world desperately is seeking someone to follow. The question is, will that somebody be just like them or living just like the world? Or will that person be someone who points them to the way of Christ and becomes an effective mirror to reflect Christ or a window through which people can see Jesus? Everybody follows somebody or something. Probably you're a disciple of several somebodies. But the assumption of Jesus' ministry and his reaching out and calling people into relationship was that they would live their lives as his students and co-laborers. In fact, anybody who's a continual student of Jesus and who who nevertheless reads the the great promises of the Bible as if they're for her or him, uh, but doesn't put them into practice, is kind of like someone who cashes a check on somebody else's account. At best, it succeeds only sporadically. Or think of it like this. Somebody uh, enrolls in an education plan. Somebody gets accepted to a college. What if they got accepted to that college, but then showed up on graduation day, expecting to graduate and be rewarded, but never having attended a class and never actually having learned anything or applied those things to their lives? That would be preposterous, right? But sometimes I think we we do that. People come to accept Christ. They welcome them into their heart and their life. But they never intentionally live into their teachings. They don't lean in and take in those teachings on a regular basis so that they grow and mature. In second service, we have two students who this is their last Sunday before they head away to college. Uh, One of them's going to UC Davis and the other one's going to UC Santa Barbara. These are bright kids who have worked their tails off in high school. You don't get into those schools now unless you have a very high grade point average. Well, what if, again, they got their acceptance letter but never went to class and just showed up on graduation day expecting to be given their diploma? It would not work. Similarly, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to be with him, spend time with him, grow to be like him, learn, follow, be an apprentice, be a student, so that we become more and more like him in what he's calling us to do. And you don't become like somebody else. You don't grow and learn in relationship with them unless you spend time with them. Unless you do the kinds of things that they are doing. And if Jesus is leaning into the Father in prayer, then we need to lean into him. If Jesus is calling disciples, then we need to call people to discipleship to Jesus. Uh, Sometimes I think my older son has been blessed with some really good things from his dad. And other times I'm like, oh man, this guy, 
Um, but yesterday, uh, he ran in a race here at Nevada Union High School, the same race that I ran in in 1988. I mean, I don't know how many years ago. And yesterday, my dad and my mom were here watching Josh run. And I said, you know, Dad, uh, you were here in 1988 watching me run the same race. And now here I am as a dad watching my son run in that same race. And it was thinking about the likeness of father and son and passing on things. And how that's meant to be even more true for us in relationship with Jesus. But it takes showing up. And man, my parents, they're, they're great-grandparents, they show up for those kinds of events. Well, we don't want to just show up for an event, right? We want to show up and be in relationship and spend time with Jesus. If we're going to be disciples, it's going to take a continual leaning in and growing into what God has for us through Christ. It takes building a relationship. Nicky Gumbel captures this well in his Alpha Course material. He talks about his marriage with his wife, Pippa, and he says, well, what if I asked Pippa to marry me, and we got married, but I never spent time with her? What if I asked her to marry me, and I never told her, I love you? It wouldn't be much of a marriage, would it? So why do some followers of Jesus accept Jesus and enter into a covenant relationship with him, but never spend time with him, never tell him we love him? If we're going to mature and grow in that relationship, it takes spending time with Jesus. And the amazing reality of the passage is there's a greater intentionality behind it. For Jesus not only invites us to come and and be with him, Jesus invites the disciples to lean in by choosing 12 of them. Jesus practices a principle of selectivity and consecration. He, concentration. He spends intentional time with a smaller group of people in order to grow them up into him. And this is where the background of Scripture is helpful for us. What Jesus is doing here is calling an Israel team together, we might say. Remember that in, in, in the Old Testament, there were, there were 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob. And, and they formed the community of Israel in the various tribes that were connected to the one true God. Well, now Jesus calls 12 men. And he's calling 12 men to, to basically reconnoiter, reunite a community of God followers that will build upon and, and that community will grow. But these are his core people, much like Israel and Jacob's 12 sons. What we are told is that Jesus invites this Israel team together. It's a starting point for how God was now going to be on the move through Christ, revealing himself and calling a people to himself. And we can say that Jesus chose those people to be with him and have a relationship with him. They weren't just picked and then, hey, now you're on the team. Have a good time. You get to hang out. No, Jesus was intentional about time. And also it was because Jesus knew the end was coming for him on earth. And there's no way that Jesus could get the word out and minister to the vast needs of humanity just by himself. He needed to multiply himself in those 12 people. And so he was intentional. And what we see is the closer he got to the cross, resurrection and ascension, the more time he spent with those few people. Because he had to imprint his life and his teachings upon those 12. And he was actually betting his whole mission on the Holy Spirit's ability to take those 12 men 
and, and move through them and carry out the mission of God. And so what we see is Jesus, you know, knowing his end is coming. And, and here's my thinking right now. It's, you know, friends, I think the end is coming closer and closer. I think Jesus is coming back. I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime. Jesus says we don't know. But man, all the signs are there, aren't they? And so what should we be doing? Fretting, worrying, hanging out till he comes back, trying to survive? No. We need to be spending more intentional time with a few people to invest our lives in those people and train them up as disciples of Christ so that they can share the good news with others. And I think the time is shorter and shorter. Friends, that's why we have an invitation today. Greg's going to do an interview here in a few moments. Uh, Beth will be out there at a table, um, and uh, growth group leaders will be around today. They'd love to connect with you. We want you to get into a growth group because it's too hard to, do, uh, to follow Jesus just by ourselves. And if the end is near, we need to be connected that much deeper together. And as Jesus chose his disciples, I wonder if you have thought again about how you have been chosen. You're on his team. He's picked you. As one of his disciples who he wants to spend intentional intentional time with to imprint his life upon you so that you look and smell like Jesus. In church, my great concern is that I don't know if we look that much different than the world right now. We're fighting over stuff. We're arguing on Facebook. We allow stuff to divide us that just does not point the world to Jesus. And like Tim preached about a few weeks on the basics of faith, we have to get back to our basic call to discipleship so other people see Jesus through us. That's the hope of the world, that they're going to see Jesus through us, and then they're going to want what we have, and they're going to turn their life over to Christ. And I firmly believe that growth groups are the primary vehicles through which we grow as followers of Jesus and then can go out and get the word out. And that leads to the last part. Jesus invites the disciples to lean in by designating them as apostles. And to be an apostle literally means be a sent one, uh, to be somebody sent out, to be an ambassador of the one who sent you. Uh, apostles are, are sent in the sense that, that they're meant to go and to reflect, you know, the person. So, so an ambassador from one country to another is meant to reflect that country, right? Uh, a student's meant to reflect their teacher. Robert, uh, William Barclay tells the story of a little girl who was learning about Jesus in, in Sunday school, and, and they were talking about the apostles, um, but the way she heard it was this way. And the mom and dad said, what did you learn in Sunday school? He said, well, I, I learned about the samples. What do you mean you learned about the samples? Well, there were these, these guys that followed Jesus, and they were the samples of Jesus. And, uh, and it, she got it right, right? She didn't get the word right. But we're meant to be people through whom others can sample Jesus. See what he's like. See if it something they want, to taste and see that God is good. And friends, we need that time where we're with Jesus, we're getting deep relationship with him and have that formed in a smaller group of community, but it's all with the purpose that we go out and are sent out in his name as his ambassadors. 
And guess what? If you're feeling frustrated about, you know, the church, our church, or any church, and the way we're relating, uh, it's good to remember that Jesus called the kaleidoscope of humanity of people to follow him. I mean, I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing Matthew the tax collector in league with the government and the Romans, okay? And you've got Simon the zealot there who has pledged his life to defeat the Romans, I mean, it's like we've got masks and no masks, vaxxers, no vaxxers here. I mean, that's the level of disparity here among the people that Jesus has called, okay? But he wants them all to be with him. And somehow, in his amazing quality of calling people and uniting people together, Jesus was able to keep this band of people together. I mean, I'm wondering how Simon and Matthew didn't kill each other over the three years. Because Simon was actually pledged to kill somebody like Matthew. And yet Jesus kept them together. So the question, church, is why do we allow stupid stuff to pull us apart? And it's not just me as a pastor who's wrestling with this. All my pastor friends are wrestling with this. All the churches are wrestling with this. We are not alone. But if we're going to lean in and if we're going to get this right, we're going to have to overcome that stuff through the power of his spirit and prayer dedication to him and one another, and keeping the main thing the main thing. That we have the best news ever proclaimed in all of history. We know the Savior of the world, and other people don't yet. And we need to help them get to know him. Let me close with this, uh, and I know I went a little long today. But Sam Shoemaker uh, wrote a poem once that stands out to me about these dynamics. And I want you to hear the first stanza. Shoemaker titled this, I Stand at the Door. He says, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is the only wall, is only a wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men, with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men and women to find that door, the door to God. And the most important thing that any man or woman can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to a man or woman's own touch. Men or women are dying outside the door. So I stand at the door. I don't go too far in and stay there. I come back outside so that they can find the door. And we, church, know that that door is Jesus. Amen?
Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you.
inside you, all around you, and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. 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 He is for 